Hey everybody, it's Daniel Hayward with Socratic Hobbits. Kyle and I have an excellent conversation with Jamin Holmgren for you. There is so much packed in here. I'm sorry and not sorry that it's one of our longest episodes. Jamin is a co-founder of Infinite Red, a React native consultancy. He does live coding on Twitch, has a podcast, and juggles all of that with a family. Some of the most valuable nuggets I picked out were the pillars that Infinite Red uses to negotiate difficult problems and conversations. For difficult problems, Jamin explains why we don't do hard things alone. For difficult conversations, they always find out how much each party cares with a gaffometer. Enjoy. What's uh about five thousand subscribers. Oh, look at that. I didn't even I didn't even know. What do you <laughs> do you uh do you podcast about React Native and stuff I do, yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. It's called React Native Radio, so nice. Yeah, What's, that's a fun one. How long have you been doing that? Uh probably a year and a half, I wanna say. Something like that. Okay. That's so, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, me and a couple of co-hosts, and we sometimes bring in guests, but not always. And we do it weekly. So, Got all so set you up start that stuff. about the same time as the blog? Uh, the blog, let's see, uh, like our, our main blog or what? what yeah, for that? Infinite Red. Oh, that's the blog's actually been around for quite a while. Uh, Infinite Red's about seven years old, and I think we had it at the start. Okay. I It only went back to 2020. Really? That's all I can see. Something's wrong with it. <laughs> Could be. I know we have some stuff from like 2017, 2016 on it and stuff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. So we have the blog. We have a newsletter with uh, about 16,000 subscribers. We have, I've been doing some like Twitch streaming, but that's a lot smaller. I have maybe, I don't know, 400 followers or something on that. So that's as in streaming Twitch while you're developing? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yep. So I do like open source software and stuff like that. So I've uh, heard of Twitch. Twitch for gaming, but mm -hmm. that actually sounds kind of cool, especially with something as um, yeah. quick as React Native. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I, I, I watch Twitch like gaming too. And sometimes mm -hmm. I'll even game on Twitch, but for the most part, what I do is uh, is coding. And I multi-stream it over to YouTube as well. So is that when I've seen YouTube videos... Uh, like pop up in my feed or whatever that's that's what <laughs> it is yeah. yeah yeah it's just it's just in a stream yeah okay. i'm not not a youtuber necessarily okay well, that's pretty cool huh yeah. yeah well uh you have us uh we we have about 20 listeners something okay. like that yeah that's a good start yeah well i mean we've been going for about two years <laughs> <laughs> hey there's something about persistence and you know what I I would say that in front of a small audience is the best place to screw up, you know? So oh, sure. like you 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 learn you know, you kind of learn your your trade. Uh and then when when you do, you know, 3 years later when you are an overnight success, then mm -hmm. uh you actually have already made all the mistakes and not in front of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We well, we may need to scrub our our backlog a little bit. <laughs> 
just like i don't know the first um what is it uh we're, we're at episode 40 so just like the first 30 or 35 right in there <laughs> 37 to get it now okay 37 yeah. yeah no it's it's fine no it's uh yeah we we um kind of found our i don't know we've been interviewing for the last uh couple months or okay. m- month or two yeah. interviewing people and before that it was mostly just me and um kyle pontificating yeah. i think yeah and talking about i don't know we we re- referred to it as word vomit because it came up so much but just covid <laughs> and politics it was like oh, oh yeah. can we please stop talking about this and then it would just, i know right it just came back to it and so <laughs> what are you gonna do that's cool yeah. yeah um but the people that we've been interviewing are uh people who've built something that's kind of the mm-hmm. um, okay so whether that's entrepreneurial or um you know we it, there could be other facets it's not just somebody who started a business um but so far that's about all it's been yeah well that's a common way yeah but there's other things too there's people who build communities people who build you know all kinds of things i mean obviously uh people who like makers um People who do, I don't know, hobbies, things like that. Daniel had a cool idea to interview someone who'd built their own house, mm-hmm. which we kind of ended up doing because we interviewed a realtor who moonlights as a contractor. Oh, yeah. But we have another friend who's also just built his own house remotely. And mm. so we thought that would be interesting to find out how he managed that. Or how he yeah. managed the subcontractors. and Right. That is a good idea. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, and that's something that um, at the church that I used to go to. Actually, I don't know. Did you and I ever go to Hawkinson at the same time or did you pretty much always go to Vancouver? I think maybe for a brief time we might have. I don't know. I want to say I went there for like eight years. I was in either Vancouver or Hawkinson for about that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember exactly when we switched over. I think it was 2018. No, 2017. 2017, we switched over. Okay. Well, my wife and I got before married. Before our house fire. Oh, that's mm. right. Yeah. I forgot about Cause, that. Yeah, because that happened when we were like just fairly new to mm. to Vancouver. So, uh, But that was something, building a house was something that it was, uh, I'm not going to say it was like super common necessarily, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. definitely on a lot of people's minds and yeah. as a way to... The the apostolic church, like there are a lot of entrepreneurial kind of ambitions. Yeah, and I, I, sure. I think it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm just, you know, I I know a lot of people from there. Benjamin, um, mm-hmm. and then Isaac has started, you know, something, and you and yep, all the Holmgrens. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe it's a Holmgren <laughs> thing. <laughs> Definitely, my dad and Ed for sure, the two, yeah, patriarchs of those two families. Yeah, maybe we'll have, we'll just call it a homegrown podcast, and we'll <laughs> just spend. No, it's next... definitely it's like you can see that throughout the uh, Apostolic Lutheran kind of circles. There's a lot of entrepreneurship. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, even um, my wife's cousin. Actually, I'm not 100 percent sure. Rachel lived with uh, my wife for mm-hmm. a little while at the Turvos, mm-hmm. and then her husband, like he's fairly entrepreneurial as well, and yeah. he's. Um, Anyway, yeah, it's 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 an industrious group of people for sure. Yeah. How much of that is entrepreneurship along the lines of what you're doing, Jamin, in tech, and how much of that is more real estate? Uh it's mostly contracting, yeah. 
contracting. Yeah, generally. There's a there's there's a whole subject behind why that is. Yeah? Care to enlighten us or is it Sure. Are we uh are we started? Uh yeah, I mean I'll I'd say like it's a soft start. Okay, cool. I just didn't want to like like, you know, bomb through if you were wanting to do anything uh specific. So Yeah. Are, are you mean... supposed to do an intro during a podcast? <laughs> we so I've actually the last like handful of times Mm-hmm. What we've done is we do the intro at about 20, 25 minutes. We say, you know what? We've been talking for a few minutes. Who are you, Jamin? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We could do that now if you want. It's, uh, it's totally up to you. I don't know what your plan is. So you just you just let me know. Oh, and I, that's and I nice. Follow you. you think we have a plan. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, so let me see. Let me see if I can just from from what I know about you mm-hmm. and what you've just mentioned. So you started Infinite Red mm-hmm. and it sounds like you have a podcast you stream um have you built any houses personally i've uh well you rebuilt i guess it depends on how you how you uh define it i I did used to be in construction okay as a framer and i built my own house twice although both both times with the help of new tradition homes so uh, okay i can't take full credit for that yeah okay so with two we'll give you full credit for one how does that sound (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that's, sounds about right the first one i did actually a lot of hands-on work so yeah let's see and then your father as well and uh yeah, so you have a family um mm-hmm. have you written any books i'm just i'm Never finding out i'm finding surprises so i'm just i'm just covering my bases. yeah i've been asked to write a book a couple times but okay okay what am i missing jamin uh yeah i live uh in brush prairie washington southwest washington state um, with my wife and four kids. My oldest is 17. My youngest is eight. No. Yes. Almost, almost nine. I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I, uh, I was in construction as we talked about my dad, Ron Holmgren was, uh, he was the owner of an excavation company. So I ran heavy equipment for quite a while, including the heavy equipment of a hand shovel. Um, <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> and then I, uh, uh, I ended up, I, I've always coded. Like I, from the time my dad bought a computer when I was 12, I was fascinated by it. So I started learning how to code it, you know, basically by myself. And then when I was older, I started doing these little side jobs with it. And then I eventually started a business when I was 23. And that was actually not Infinite Red. That was a previous company uh, called ClearSight that I uh, built up to 12 people and um well it's probably 12 to 14 somewhere in that range and then in 2015 i merged with a company out of san francisco and we became infinite red and uh, we're software consultancy and we work on mobile apps um, for lots of different companies um, of different sizes some of which you've heard of some you haven't and uh and we specialize in a technology out of facebook called react native and we're one of their primary partners in consulting on that technology so uh that's kind of our claim to fame is that we do that was ClearSight a react native shop no that was pre react native uh right. mostly i actually did a variety of different things i started out just building websites okay and then i built web apps uh so websites using like php and mm-hmm. even wordpress and different things like that and then web apps using php switched over to ruby on rails and did a lot of ruby on mm-hmm. rails uh work there jquery you know whatnot ember um, and then, uh, started getting into native mobile apps for iOS. I bought an iPad 
in like 2011, I want to say, mm-hmm. started programming, you know, apps for it. And I thought it was super cool and I really loved it. And I still love it. I still love doing mobile apps better than anything. And, uh, but when we merged, uh, we decided to switch over our whole stack over to React Native and just focus on mobile apps. And that's what we've been doing for the last seven years. Is, is there an app that um, I've heard of that, that you can share? I don't know. Yeah. Facebook. About... <laughs> you made Facebook? Wow. So, some of my code is probably in Facebook, but I, that's pretty cool. it's probably more the open source stuff. Um, I mean, some of my code's everywhere, probably. I, there's some stuff that I've done that is in, I don't know, uh, League of Legends, for example, has some of my code in it. But mm. um, the one that we've been, probably the one that a lot of people have heard of is Gas Buddy. So, you know, oh. gas prices being what they are, you know, you can download this app and find the close, you know, the lowest gas prices around you. Uh-huh. And the iOS version right now, we're still working on the Android version, but the iOS version, if you download it, is ours. It's the one that we worked on. Um, okay. I led the technical team on that. Some of my code's in there, but for the most part, a lot of it is uh, like Carlin Isaacson and Kevin Van Gelder and Mark Rickert and a few other people that have worked uh, on the project with us, as well as their internal team. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that I think that's a, I don't know. Do you know roughly how many people have downloaded that app? It's quite a few i know exactly how many but i can't really say (laughs) let me let me say uh let me say that daily active users is in the millions okay yeah yeah so it's a very very well used app yeah there's like two million two two million updates of prices crowdsourced uh updates of prices every week so it's it's very very well used that's uh wow yeah that's quite quite an Mm -hmm. accomplishment to have an app that is yeah yeah. And then not, not a simple one. Well, not, no, not, not as simple as, yeah, there's. In fact, when we were hired to, to rebuild it, cause it had been around for, I don't know, 10 years or something, mm-hmm. maybe longer, actually. I don't remember when it first came out. It was a, it's a very old app. Uh, the team that was maintaining it is not the team that built it. So, uh, the internal team. Oh. So none of them actually knew what was in it. <laughs> it was just sort of like, if something breaks, they'd go fix it. Yeah. So uh they said hey can you figure out what's in this app and rebuild it uh-huh. and it ended up being a much bigger project project so we're coming in on i think two years now uh working on the project and um it's been it's been a major project but for sure uh there's a lot of little dusty corners you know everywhere in the in the app for sure yeah i was when i was working for an accounting office um i interfaced with the it department a lot because uh, for various reasons but i remember talking to one of them i was like why don't you guys switch to this dynamics gp which is an accounting you know software from this decade and because they were using something that was built in fox pro which was from do you i think it was like 1979 1989 it was a long time ago yeah um but it's basically, uh, oh, what is it? What's it called? Where your all your menus are off of the number, the the keypad. Mm. Yep. Um, I can't remember the name of like it. Like a text text yeah. based. Yeah. Everything was text based. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. couldn't use your mouse inside the window when you were mm-hmm. when you yeah. were using it. It worked well, but they're like a terminal app. Yeah. Yeah, a terminal. Mm-hmm. Um, that would mm-hmm. be a good way to to describe it. But it was his response was like, well, this 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 is more than 40 years old and we don't know what a lot of the different moving pieces do Mm -hmm. and it's not very well commented and so (laughs) it's just you know to pull the plug from one thing and switch it to the other is it's a really risky especially with how much 
how much business that company does every day. Yeah, exactly. It's like that. Yeah, t- if, if you have a company that's relying on an app like that, mm-hmm. you really need to be um, extra cautious. Um, but it's kind of funny because the, the Gas Buddy team is led by a guy who's extremely um, not risk averse. <laughs> cavalier? He is, he is cavalier. He's ready to just pull the plug on everything. And mm. it can be, we have to actually have to hold him back a little bit. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Max, we're not ready to launch yet. <laughs> He's oh, like, well, good. we just, you know, we'll fix it on the fly. We'll find the bugs. Like, no, 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 right. not, we don't yeah. want. Yeah. We don't want to exactly. find Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. He's a brilliant programmer though. That's probably why. Cause he can, he knows he can fix anything. Uh, oh, okay. So that confidence comes from somewhere. Yeah. So we, when we were talking with, um, is it Elliot about, yeah. uh, the react native, like, stack mm-hmm. he he kind of gave a broad overview of kind of what it's doing which is like there's uh, i can't even quite explain it very well because he did he, he did it in about i don't know 30 seconds you think kyle maybe a minute yeah and i was just i was wondering if you could explain like as you're not coding in swift which is mm-hmm. what apple needs right. you're coding in is it React Native is the language? It's not. It's uh, it's either JavaScript or TypeScript, mm-hmm. depending on what you're using. Uh, in the end, it is all JavaScript. But, okay. Um, yeah, JavaScript is what's happening there. Um, so essentially, the way that it works is, like in the past, uh, you had basically two options. You could either build it in originally Objective-C, which is like a very old language, like in the mm-hmm. 80s. Not a bad language. It's a little verbose and kind of ugly in some ways, but... I actually enjoy Objective-C. Okay. Um, and then you know, on the Android side, you would be using Java. Then they it, it, they eventually came up with Swift and about the same time uh, Kotlin came out. Kotlin and Swift look very similar. If you were to look at the two, you would actually probably, you'd have to really know the languages to know which one was which hmm. um, because they look very, very similar, even though they were developed separately at Apple and at, I think JetBrains actually came up with Kotlin originally and then Google adopted it. So, uh, so they came out with these fairly similar languages. Um, but the problem is it's not so much just the languages. It's also what we, you would call the APIs, the application programming interfaces, all the functions that you can call to do things. So I need to know where, like, what's my latitude and longitude. I call mm-hmm. a function that then returns the latitude and longitude. That's very different on iOS than it is on Android. So the APIs are all very different and stuff like that. So you could either build it twice in Mm -hmm. Swift once and then in Kotlin. Or if you wanted to build it just once, you could basically do this wrapper around a web view, which is like a little thin browser that doesn't even have a, a, like a browser bar. Okay. It's just the view itself. Like what you see here in Zencaster, what we're looking at without the Chrome around it. And essentially then in there, you kind of mock up an app and you know try to make it work using JavaScript, HTML, and CSS. The problem with that second, so the good thing about the second one is that you can then run it on anything and it'll pretty much behave the same because a browser is a browser is a browser. Sort yeah, of. and the, the users wouldn't even notice, right? Exactly, that was the idea. It was just <laughs> janky, it was horrible. It was an ugly, bad experience generally. And um, yeah. People are like, forget it. So they would go back to it. And that's what we did was just basically write it twice. Hmm. 
But uh, Facebook was like, okay, we cannot hire enough iOS and Android developers. It's just like, it feels impossible. Mm. So they had this web framework called React and it was taking the world by storm. And one of the cool things about React is that you can describe a page using a kind of HTML-like syntax called JSX, JavaScript XML, basically is what it's, basically it, um, but it it keeps it in JavaScript so that you can still do things with JavaScript. Because like one of the downsides of HTML is that it's just like a static layout. Mm -hmm. And to do things with it, you have to do, you have to use JavaScript. So this allowed, this kind of baked JavaScript in. So it was Mm -hmm. cool. Um, And it was cool that you could do that but it was again in a browser. So they said, well, wait, what if we built in a layer on iOS and a layer on Android that can understand JSX? And basically JSX would be running in this little JavaScript engine, not a browser, like not a full browser. Mm-hmm. It's just like a piece of it that runs JavaScript. So like most of the browser, you just throw away. It's not even there. Then you just have the, the JavaScript side run this JavaScript and describe what your screen is supposed to look like. And then it would then drop down in the native layer and build automatically that screen using, actually it's it's Objective-C and Java. It's, they're not using the new stuff, but they're using the old stuff, which still works fine. Mm-hmm. And that side would actually be buttery smooth, like native controls. So if you have a button, it's a native button. That's why they call mm-hmm. it React Native. So all of your description of what's going to show up on the screen is done in JavaScript. And then the actual like rendering is done with native. It's kind of a hybrid approach. That is super cool. Yeah, it worked pretty well. And and there's this thing called the bridge, which basically allows you to send messages from JavaScript to native mm-hmm. and from native to JavaScript. And uh, they're actually doing some things. I just gave a talk down in Berkeley, California about um, the changes that they're making. Cause I'm on the react native core team on the open source side, working with Microsoft and Facebook to improve react native. And one of the big things that they're working on right now internally in, in react or in uh, Facebook meta mm-hmm. is, uh, this, this, uh, more direct connection. Instead of using the bridge, you can actually just call functions back and forth between them, which makes everything smoother and stuff. So it's getting better. Um, all the time, Microsoft uses it extensively. Uh, they are rewriting most of Microsoft Office in React Native. Um, not only that, but you can do React Native for Mac OS, React Native for Windows, React Native for web. So it's like bringing back React to web, but doing it in a React Native way. Huh. And you can write the same code and have it delivered and render on all of these different platforms. What, it, what does it mean to a user? Well, what it means is that you can actually have a programmer write the program once and then deliver it to like five different platforms and it'll it'll feel pretty native on all of those platforms. Would I be able to get it on my Zune? <laughs> You'd have to talk to Microsoft about that one. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's uh that's amazing. Um mm-hmm. for like a handful of reasons, but one of the biggest ones being like there aren't enough programmers right now and right. there are a lot of apps that are available on one one platform that I wish mm-hmm. were available on others. And to be able to simplify that or, or basically be able to port to where it's usable and uh, enjoyable to use. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, so what's, you've talked a little bit about your role with React Native, like the community portion of it. Is React Native owned by Meta? It is 
uh, but they've licensed it under the MIT license, which means that anybody can use it for pretty much any reason as long as you don't sue them. Okay. Yep. <laughs> That's basically it. Seems fair. Yeah. Um, and so your, I guess, what's your role? Like you, you mentioned like, okay, with, with Meta and mm-hmm. Microsoft and like, is there, are you on a committee? Is that what you said? Or are you on a... Essentially. Yeah. Okay. It's like an informal committee um, of, uh, they call us a React Native partner. Um, and essentially we attend meetings, you know, once a week. And then there's also another one once a month. Hmm. Um, where we are allowed to kind of give feedback, get early information about what's coming down the pike. They ask us questions about what they, what we want in React Native. Uh, it's mostly meta engineers, but there's also a very strong presence from Microsoft, uh, mm-hmm. Coinbase, um, Discord, uh, Tesla. Wow. Um, there's, there's a number of different uh, companies that are Amazon for sure. Yeah. Um, there's a number of different companies that are represented there. Uh, but, uh, then there's, then there's infinite red, little infinite red sitting there at the table and, and a couple other consultancies that are kind of similar to us, actually okay. just one other, uh, that no, sorry. Yeah. Two others uh-huh. that are both based in Poland, uh, great companies out of Poland. Um, yeah. That also do react native. Huh. Okay. Is one of the reasons that Facebook is looking at a way to, or metas were looking at a way mm-hmm. to pass functions back and forth. Um, directly, it, does that have to do anything to do with there being a leg for VR? I think you're you're kind of picking up on something there uh, for sure. There was there's already kind of a leg for mobile apps, and so right. that was you could work around it a bit, but it was always just a little bit of a problem. So they were trying to solve that, but I think their focus on VR and they are definitely bringing React Native for VR. Right. Uh, is it makes it brings it further into the the focus. So that is definitely a, a thing that I think is pushing it. Because they don't want the limitation of programmers that Daniel just alluded to to impact how many apps can be developed for their metaverse. Yes, it, totally. Yeah, and and by making this better, they. I mean, we're already seeing like it's it's still really early days, but we're already seeing where it opens up a lot of different avenues for more native feeling apps, uh, mm-hmm. even with, with what we're doing with that. And also speaking of leg, I mean, I imagine Tesla doesn't want leg in their systems depending on <laughs> yeah. where they're putting react. Yeah. And I think, uh, for their kind of in car experiences, they're not using react native, but they're definitely looking at it for some other things that they do mm-hmm. more displays and that. Yeah. And mobile apps, you know, cause like mobile apps is a big one. That you, you want an integration with the car's user or the car's owner's okay. mobile app. So you can walk up to your car, it mm-hmm. sets the AC to the right spot. It right. Knows yeah. that you're the one yeah. sitting in that seat, so not your wife. So put yep. it. Or remotely do things or monitor things right. and things like that. I don't actually have insight into exactly where they're using it, but they definitely are in the meetings. So they must be using it somewhere. Asking a really personal question here Is this your standard? podcasting background with Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> it is. This is my main, uh, main thing. I've got like a vertical monitor over there with, uh, kind of chat communication. Whoa. I just hit my, my mic, uh, Wait. as I was gesturing. Dan can edit uh, it out. <laughs> and don't got, make promises. <laughs> 
and I've got uh, I've got my 5K display in front of me, so I've got all the you know all the the, the pixels staring me in the face. Mm-hmm. I've got a Stream Deck. I don't know if you've seen Stream Decks; they're really oh, awesome, yeah. though. Um, so I've got it programmed for various things. And yeah, behind me I have a Finnish flag. Oh yeah, uh, an Among Us character okay. that my wife got me. And then my wife did draw this uh, Calvin yeah. and Hobbes. Um, That's legit. It's on canvas, ink on canvas, and it's That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, yeah, I saw your your it was on Twitter. Your uh, your like process through like ver- your vertical display. Yeah, I love it. It's awesome. Yeah, this the place I I was at before my current job. Um, I don't I don't know why, but we had three monitors and they were all twenty seven inches. Nice. Yeah. But we weren't programming. We were estimating. <laughs> and sometimes oh, estimating. You need spreadsheets. Room. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of data. I mean, there was. You can't <laughs> Well, I mean, one of my monitors just ended up being it's kind of like you, it's got the communication, it's got emails yeah. and mm-hmm. um, we were on Teams and so we right. we used that. Yep. And then my main monitor um yeah, and then I, I would I would go back and forth and I'll, I'll be honest, this vertical monitor is mainly so I can have a basketball game on and a baseball game on at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and just have those playing as I'm as I'm working. I appreciate your candor. <laughs> so I have a question. Since Daniel brought up email, mm-hmm. for someone who has as much going on as you do, Jamin, how do you break up your day? Mm-hmm. Uh, Are you really good. set about kind of what your day looks like, or is it pretty free flowing? It's um, I prefer free flowing where I can so that I can do creative work, but it tends to get set for me for you know obviously being an owner of a consultancy, mm-hmm. there's always stuff going on. Um, I do about 20 hours of meetings per week, which is unfortunate. Um, that's way too many. <laughs> I mean, a short, a short week, if I'm, if I'm not doing a bunch of other stuff, you know, being kind of like 10 to 15 hours. Um, but, uh, it stacks up and I do sales. So, I'm in meetings with companies that want to hire us um, and, you know, kind of initial meetings and then follow up meetings and, you know, talking with the lawyers and talking with um, all, getting all that stuff kind of dialed in. We don't take on new projects very often because um, our projects tend, tend to go for months and months, if not years. Uh, so, but I still have to kind of keep, uh, keep that pipeline rolling. Yeah. How much sustaining work do you guys do versus new product development? That's a great question. Uh, we do a a majority of new product development, or at least cool. new feature development. Uh-huh. Uh, That's the with, fun stuff. Yeah, that is the fun stuff, um, but with some some maintenance for sure. And right, some of our biggest, longest running stuff is just straight up maintenance. Mm-hmm. We have one project that has currently six, no five, five developers that we've had going for seven over seven years, and. Um, it's showing no signs of stopping. That's for a big university down in the Bay Area. Okay. We just kind of keep keep rolling with it. Uh, but yeah, there are other... We're potentially going to be starting two new projects in about a month. And when those kick off, it's usually two to four new... Two to four developers working on the project. My part kind of like slows down once they kick off. My, my part's more in the initial part and then I support. So if they have any questions or if they need to surface something to the react native team or some third party library and i need to talk to someone to get you know to get something fixed uh, that's kind of my role 
So you started out as a as a founder, you're now CTO, but it sounds like you do a bunch of sales too. Yeah. How has yeah. your I imagine as a founder you did a lot of sales too, but how has your role evolved from founder yeah. to now CTO of Infinite Red? So when uh obviously I did sales and everything when I was uh right. the sole owner of ClearSight. Uh, when we when we founded Infinite Red, it was with two other guys, and my role was initially chief operating officer. So I was in charge oh. of the project teams and running the projects. Mm-hmm. And I actually got away from the tech a bit, and I missed it terribly. Right. I love coding; I always have, and it's been something that I just, I just, I, I don't want. I didn't start a business to be a project manager, and so you know the so we were able to Amen. <laughs> we were able to kind of at some point, uh, actually one of our, one of our initial founders left and we had an, another guy buy in as a, as a third owner. Okay. At that point I was able to say, okay, he was the CTO, but he left, I can take over that role. And then our CEO actually is doing more of the operations cause that's his specialty. He's really great at it. And, uh, and our project manager, it's good to give CEOs something useful to do. <laughs> he would be the first to say that. <laughs> um, What's hilarious is he also edits our podcast uh, because he just loves editing audio and he's amazing at it. Um, Daniel, future CEO. (laughs) No, no, no. I want to get some tips from this guy. Oh, you should. In fact, uh, there is uh, there's a workshop he gave. I'm going to send it to you, Daniel. You may not want to watch it because then you'll be like, oh, wow, uh, there's a lot more to this than I thought. But it's great. I, I remember I watched somebody right when I was starting. Yeah. And they were like, and here's, you know, you have to, I don't know. There was just a lot of work that, that this person yeah. who did this, you know, yeah, very popular podcast. And I was like, ah, that's too much. The <laughs> so big I- ones, they'll do like a week's worth of work for an episode. I, for ours, we do between four to six hours of editing per episode. Yeah. So, and how long are they? They're about 30 to 40 minutes, somewhere in there. Yeah. So our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> What you'd find is that you'd tighten it up because you don't want to edit that many. <laughs> so our yeah. podcast, uh, since we started interviewing people, have stretched to like about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And I, but they've always been between an hour and an hour and a half. And a, yeah. at the very most, I spend two hours. It's hard to do a shorter podcast. It is. But you know what? That's okay. Sometimes you want the long form kind of just, you know, people can speed it up to 1.5 x if they want to you know well i've gotten the same same feedback from my mom and my wife you guys ramble too much and i'm like but that's what's fun (laughs) that's like that's what we're doing i didn't you know i mean i know it's hard not to and and it's fun for the it's fun for the for the hosts but um but not as fun for the listeners sure that's fun for the listeners so you do yeah it depends on what your goals are yeah but yeah no actually send me that i would be i'd be interested i mean Mm -hmm. I've I have lots of questions. I'm I'm enjoying this. I'm curious. I'm curious, Jamin, how you've approached hiring because I I've heard that it's one of the most important things you can do is hire the right people. You're you're exactly right, and even knowing that, you're not going to realize just how important it is. Um, a good hire is going to allow you unlock. A good hire is going to unlock things that you didn't think were even possible. And a bad hire is going to drag down the most simple task and make it drudgery. Um, every every person that you are hiring changes your culture in good and bad ways. Um, and you want to maximize the good and minimize the bad. You, 
you probably aren't putting enough effort into hiring, even if you're actively actively hiring. And I don't mean recruiting. I mean, all of it, the interviewing, the, you know, all of those pieces. And you have to be thinking about the person you're hiring. You have to be selling them on the vision just as much as you're evaluating them. You have to be thinking about setting the tone as you're hiring them. I'll tell you what, and probably because not very many of my employees will be listening to this. I'm going to give away a little secret. Um, we had some goals that we wanted to hit with infinite red and there was a lot of struggle hitting those goals with the people we had. They're great people, but they just had limitations. We hired into what we wanted to see specifically. We wanted to see more media. We wanted to see more, um, you know, people who are willing to actually come on the podcast and talk. We wanted mm. to see people that would share outside of their little silos um, and help each other more and things like that. And what was really cool is once we hired into that and we got people who valued those things, the stuff that I felt like I was constantly pushing to try, you know, battling and like people didn't want to do became easy because, well, I wouldn't say they became easy, but they certainly became less effort because they would pick up steam on their own. This person would just run with it and just say, mm. oh, this is mine. I'm going to do it. Boom, boom, boom. And right. I could just kind of like course correct and give them and be a cheerleader. And the people that we originally had, good people, like I said, but they kind of had were stuck in their rut a little bit, started doing it too. It changed the culture. The culture became more that way. Um, so hire into the things you want to see. Hire more of that. Put your effort into the things you want more of. And, um, you know, handcraft everything. Everything needs to be really well designed. You know, when you go into uh, Ikea or like an Apple store or something like that, everything is designed for specific responses and stuff like that. So everything that we do from me saying on React Native Radio and a reminder, we are hiring. Go to careers.infinite.red if you want to work with our awesome team and mm -hmm. do cool React Native stuff. Um, then like... When you go to that, the form is speaking to you. I put a ton of work into that form. Like the form itself is an ad for infinite red for working at infinite red. And it also will filter people who we don't want. People will see it who are looking for not what we do and they'll self-select out. And, um, hmm. so I put a ton of work into that. Just the form itself, like that's like, I can't tell you how much work I put into that. And I, I read it by so many people because I wanted it to be great. And then just the responses we give when we get the email and the way mm -hmm. that we evaluate. Um, we have a committee of people that are have volunteered to do this that screen the applications and really deeply think about each application that comes in. We have a low, low enough volume that we can do that, which is good because we also only advertise through our podcast. And that's on purpose. We want people who have already listened to an hour ad by me <laughs> for Infinite Red uh, and like what they hear. That's yeah. a really good signal mm. that they would want to work for us. So all of those things are just critical. I was going to, my follow-up question to that was, do you think you'd ever get to a size where that wouldn't be feasible? Or do you think this is a scalable way to hire? Uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. I do think that with scale comes, comes some, some trade-offs for sure. Um, and we're hitting a few of those already. Okay. 
But you're right. Yeah. Like for us, we're like 30 ish people and we want to be maybe 35, 40 at the most, you know? So like, Mm -hmm. we're just not interested in being huge. We want to be really good, but small, Mm -hmm. um, big footprint, you know, scaling that for sure is going to be, uh, you know, that's going to be a different story probably. I don't know. We'll see. Like we've, we haven't tried. I did put out a tweet recently saying we're hiring and we got like 18 applications. Uh, much lower quality, I would say, in on average. But we did hire two out of that, and then one came through the podcast still. So, yeah. But even then, like my Twitter audience is fairly tuned for what we want to see as well. So it's not like you put an ad out on Twitter. No, <laughs> I I kind of feel like once you start getting to the point where you're putting out ads, things like that, you're sort of like at least for us, it would feel like a failure. Like mm. we're we're at a point now where we're having to just kind of like broadcast out there. I we've never been that way. Like even getting our clients like we don't want to do a Google ad or something like that. We want people to you know, the way people come to us is they hear us on a podcast or see us talk at a conference or something like that. We want that personal connection before they ever hire us. I know you don't have a ton of customers it sounds like. It sounds like you have really good relationships with a few people and and mm-hmm. there's like a I'm not going to say like a recurring revenue but that is kind of what it is. It's like a Yeah. It's like a um, compounding interest of of relationship mm-hmm. and you so you get them through conferences like personal connections probably and it's a variety of of channels but all with a common theme mm-hmm. first off we know who we are we're react native consultants so we're going to be going and talking as react native developers to react native developers somewhere mm-hmm. we you know our our newsletter our podcast YouTube, uh, conferences in our open source, uh, and our blog, all of those mm-hmm. things we're talking to these people. And then let's say that someone, you know, their boss, uh, says, Hey, we need to redo our mobile app. It's just not, you know, like we were having all kinds of problems with it. We need to redo this thing. Mm-hmm. They ask their developer who they know is into react native, you know, is react native good. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. We should probably use it for this. And they're like, okay, cool. Uh, when could you get started? And the guy's like, no way. Like you already got me doing all this other stuff. I don't have time to do this, you know? And they're like, okay, so who would we hire? Well, I've heard of infinite red. They're cool. Like I see all their stuff all over and that's how they get in touch with us. And they've already had this, this, uh, this recommendation and they've heard good things about us already. We're not like one of five agencies that they Googled. Um, when mm. that's the case, we just, we're just not all that interested. We want them to have already heard about us. So it's kind of a situation where you could easily become kind of commoditized, um, but we found a way to kind of differentiate. How uh, long do you think it took? Like, were you kind of always at that level? Definitely not. And we took a wider variety of projects when we first started. We had some, you know, we had some, some buildup of, uh, of, uh, of a client base, but um, but honestly, we just started going and talking to conferences and putting out blog posts and, and just like media in general right away. Mm. And it was a, uh, it was definitely like we had a strategy that we went into doing that and we executed that strategy. We had done it before we did it with, um, with a previous technology called Ruby motion, mm-hmm. but that was just too small of a, of a group of people and it only did ios and stuff like that so Mm. um we had already kind of done it and we just followed that same playbook but for react native and because it's authentic because we love the technology and we can talk about it and 
talk about real world stuff, it, it rings true to people. You're not posturing. That's the word I was looking for. You're right. You're just you're just being Damon. Yeah. And totally. And yeah. excited about something that's <laughs> that's exciting to certain people. That's true. A, that's a that's a really good strategy. Um, we don't need to we don't need everybody to like us, but we need the right people to like us. Yeah. So that kind of uh, segues into something that like I I've noticed. Like I've started posting on LinkedIn. Actually, mm-hmm. at Benjamin's insistence, I mm-hmm. told him I thought it was dumb, and he was like, "No, you're dumb." He didn't say that. <laughs> he said it's not dumb, and here's why. And he convinced me. And f- like for uh, what do you say? For like a week or two, I, I I started doing these things, and they were they got very popular. Like mm. I've never had any social media presence. I'm like, wow, yeah. like ten thousand people have looked at this or whatever, and that's um, pretty cool. It was, and then I posted a few things that got almost no engagement. Engagement, but I did get messages, mm. and so the signal to ratio or signal to noise ratio was like. I was like, I have to rethink how I think about this because those two, like that 40 people looked at more people were, I got, yeah, I got like a, I mean, I'm, I'm working on a project now related to, um, it's not something real programmers have necessarily heard of, but power BI and power query. Okay. Uh, All right. They're in Microsoft. They're, uh, they're data visualization and what do you mean by real programmers <laughs> it sounds like you're doing it <laughs> i mean real programming no i mean it's so it's not like a it's it's real programming the way that excel formulas are real programming okay you're using sure. logic you're using mm-hmm. um yeah. yeah you're using and calling functions yep. um, i haven't done anything with apis but i think there are ways to use apis within okay. within that um but it's 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 data summing like summarization and and visualization so um but it's it's something i'm because i'm handy with excel it's a really really nice dovetail and so that's what i'm i'm learning about but it's uh just that signal i don't know it seems like you have your signal like to noise ratio like perfectly dialed to where they're like (laughs) you don't have any noise almost uh, or a very very small amount and then your signal is really like you've you've just found your channels we do optimize for that, for sure. Speaking of optimization, just Daniel, have you seen any posts since then have lots of hits? And the reason I ask that is, do either of you think that LinkedIn may kind of spam posts initially in order to get a signal and mm-hmm. then focused, focus posts after that? They, they very well could. It's possible. I have not been posting nearly as much because I've been working on those projects that I've gotten. <clears throat> right. Yeah a while to like I in order for how I do a, how I would like to do posts and, and have been is I'm, I'm building something and then posting about it but mm-hmm. usually I'm working on projects that are just for me because right. clients don't like me saying like going sure. yeah giving too much information and so I've yeah. just I have two projects that I've been yeah spending all of my available time on so yeah I'll let you know though I'll watch out for that what do you, do you, yeah, do you think, Jamin, that they do that or? Yeah, I mean, it's it's quite possible. LinkedIn kind of marches to the beat of their own drum in some ways. Um, I'm more of a Twitter networker um, mm-hmm. because that's where a lot of software engineers are. Software engineers tend to look at LinkedIn as a 
barely necessary evil. And, um, but at the same time, I've actually tried out like some Twitter content over on LinkedIn and gotten good responses. I feel like it's sort of starved for good, sincere content. That's one of the big problems I have with, with LinkedIn is it feels Mm -hmm. like everything's an ad. Um, like if it's not an implicit, explicit ad, it's an implicit ad. So, Mm -hmm. Um, having sincere posts, uh, that aren't just like engagement bait, um, mm-hmm. is rare. And I think that that's just in all walks of life. I think that's one of the reasons people do follow me on Twitter is because they see the sincerity and sincerity is extremely rare in the online world. Most people are sarcastic, you know, jerks. And so, mm-hmm. um, like seeing sincerity and, optimism is a welcome change um Mm, especially that optimism oh yeah totally (laughs) yeah um but you know like uh, it comes with pros and cons obviously um Mm -hmm. i've invested a lot of time into twitter i think i'm up to about fourteen thousand or something follows followers and sometimes i'm like uh, i don't know if this is worth it (laughs) yeah sometimes it's just like it's not like I've invested a lot of time into it. So like, you know, you don't just, it just doesn't happen. How do you keep Twitter from fragmenting your mind? Um, I'm already, ca- sorry, sorry, hold on a sec. Sorry. What was that question? <laughs> Fragmenting your mind. Uh, Twitter fragments your mind. Okay. I tune who I follow and, and sort of that it, Twitter mm-hmm. used, well, for most people, it has a thing where you can do a drop down. Uh, not interested in this tweet, click the button. Okay. Apparently I've clicked that so many times that Twitter disabled it for me. They no longer show it for me. <laughs> it, it, it re-enabled recently and I used it for a while and then it went away again. And everybody I talk to still <laughs> has horrible. it enabled, but I use it all the time. I'm like, not interested in this tweet, not interested in this tweet. But I think they kind of know now what I'm interested in and what I'm not. Uh-huh. Um, I also, yeah, I tune who I follow. So uh, I optimize for you know, for, for signal over noise again. Um, and, uh, that's, that's important, but you know, I'm honestly fairly ADHD already. My mind is already fragmented into a million different things. Um, so uh, Twitter kind of fits that personality. (laughs) You can't defragment or you can't fragment something that's already in. Exactly. Yeah. Shards. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're interested in media and moving infinite red more in the media direction does gas buddy fit into that in a way or is that sort of a part of the old infinite red yeah so uh our clients themselves don't have to be media necessarily um because we focus like like some companies are like we want to be in a particular vertical we want to be all medical or we want to be all government or we want to be all whatever got it logistics or something like that we have all of those things. Um, we we take on anybody who comes to us who has an interesting React Native problem. Mm-hmm. And so the media that we're putting out is going to be focused around the technology, uh, not so much the clients themselves. Um, the clients are a means to an end. Obviously, we need to pay the bills and gives us content, stuff that we can talk about. Now, maybe we can't, like you know, Daniel said, we can't talk specifically about everything. Uh, in two cases, actually, two of our bigger projects recently, Gas Buddy and uh, Mercari, uh, which is like an eBay competitor from Japan, 
um, they're actually going to be coming on our podcast and talking shop with us, which is cool. So, um, like that kind of gives us permission to talk about their project. Right. So that does sometimes fit in, but it's, it's less about like, we don't necessarily want to do projects for media companies. It's more like we want to put out our own media. Got it. Which is, is kind of a way to like, you're building brand, you're building, you're kind of creating a pipeline for employees as well as like, mm-hmm. uh, general clout or yeah, I'm not quite yeah. sure what the word, what the right word is. It's nice. It's nice when those incentives all align. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I actually just had just a bit ago, I was responding to an email from a person who came to us with a startup that they were working with and we didn't end up working with them, but he came back and said, Hey, are you hiring? Um, I'd like to work for you. Mm-hmm. So sometimes clients can turn into <laughs> potential hires. Um, and yeah. vice versa. Uh, if you treat them well, if you treat them kindly, they see that they're like, I want to be a part of this, this, you know, it's, it's something special here and I feel like there's something here. We've certainly had, uh, we, we have very low turnover. We don't lose people very often. We did lose someone a couple of years ago. He came back later and with his new company and we're now working with him constantly, <laughs> uh, at his new company, uh, doing a bunch of work for it's a healthcare company. So, um, cool. yeah, I mean, you know, kind of comes back. You got something else, Kyle? I know you have like, you just got like a list of questions there. <laughs> well, James just brought up the tech and how, how you focus on the tech rather than the product per se. And I'm really curious how, so looking at your website, how React Native integrates with TensorFlow. So the the website actually has some changes coming to it um, okay. because we did refocus a little bit more. TensorFlow is very interesting. Um, right. It's very interesting. AI in general is very interesting. And we're leveraging AI in a few different ways. One is GitHub Copilot. It's amazing. Oh. Amazing. It is a game changer. I am a very fast programmer and it makes me literally twice as fast. What is, okay, what is TensorFlow? What is, and okay. GitHub Copilot is apparently a AI assistant for coders. Yeah. So, uh, think of it as like, um, predictive text for coding. Okay. But like really advanced. So, uh, TensorFlow is made by Google and TensorFlow JS specifically is a JavaScript version of that, mm-hmm. that you can embed into react native apps. So it allows you to run AI models on your app, just like on the actual app and not having to ship it out to like a server somewhere. All of these apps now are starting to ship with uh, like artificial intelligence, machine learning chips, specific chips. And so, uh, uh, well, here's an example that we actually worked on. It was a physical therapy app that would actually watch your form and tell you if you're doing it right or not. So we could actually use what? the, like, yeah, it would. Who, wild. Wait, is that out yet? I don't think I can say who they are, but it well, is I mean, out. is it out yet? It's, it's, eh, I think there's a version out. I think there's a version out. Can you say how much it costs? <laughs> uh, you know, to be completely honest, I don't know. Uh, we helped them more with the TensorFlow JS integration part. Hmm. Um, Interesting. And they, we didn't have time to do the actual app, even though it was React Native. Uh, we, don't, we didn't, we literally were just jammed. So one of my business partners, Gant Laborde, is actually a foremost expert in uh, TensorFlow.js. He literally wrote the book on it, O'Reilly book. If you wow. go and look. Oh, uh, wow. Learning, learning, React, uh, learning 
learning TensorFlow.js. It's by Gantt Laborde, and that's my business partner. So uh, it's a great book. I actually have a copy of it here somewhere sitting around. It's a great book. It's really, really approachable, really understandable. If you're interested in AI, that's where you should start 100%. It will totally dispel all the myths and you'll be like, I can do this, you know, at the end of it. Um, so here's the thing though. Um, AI we've come to realize is absolutely ridiculously useful, but it is not necessarily, at least for us, a whole branch. It's sort of more like knowing databases, you know, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. okay, you're good at knowing databases. Cool. Now build me an app with a database. Um, so I we see. are, if someone comes to us and is like, build us a react native app. And by the way, we have a, a machine learning model. We want to integrate into it. No problem. Like we know that stuff really well, obviously we can, we can, we can do that. Um, but that's not going to be a focus on our app, on our website necessarily going forward. Gab Copilot though is not using TensorFlow. It's using, I think, OpenAI, and uh, which is another kind of competitor. And it is amazing. came out of GitHub, and um, I think it was just one of their sort of like R&D, uh, like playing around. They were like, huh, I wonder if we can do this. And they did it. And it's so good. It predicts with a stunning amount of accuracy what, what I want to do next. And I have some like clips of YouTube of me like just like, mind blown. How did it know I was wanting to do that? There was another situation where I was coding, not on stream stream. I was just doing something for a side project. And I had a number of functions built to do various things. And at the end, I was like having a hard time figuring out how to integrate all of them together. Mm-hmm. And as I'm sitting there at the like blinking prompt, GitHub Copilot kicked in and it showed me the solution using my functions that I had just written. It was like, oh, just do this. I'm like, first off, how'd you know I wanted to do that? Secondly, how'd you know what all my functions do? It just read all my code, was like, obviously he wants to do this next, so here's a solution. And I looked at the solution, I had to tweak like two things, and it was done. I was actually in my mind preparing myself to like refactor the whole thing so I could do it in a way that I understood. But GitHub Copilot shortcut all of that, showed me a good solution using my already existing functions. And that is the sort of thing where it probably saved me 30 minutes of refactoring just by spitting out like eight lines of code. And it was, it was incredible. How did that, okay. You might've just answered the question. How did it make you, did it, did it like make you at all concerned? Like, Oh, uh, this is getting really good. And this is, (laughs) this is, (laughs) yeah. How did you, what did you, it's, uh, you know, like any, I look at it like, uh, you know, my dad owned an excavation company and mm-hmm. um, certainly, you know, I live next to a, a fairly sizable drainage ditch that was actually excavated by hand by Chinese immigrants back in like the 1800s mm-hmm. and it drained this whole area, but they did it with hand shovels. It's sort of like bringing in the steam shovel and being like, okay, one of you climb onto this thing and pull some levers and do what a hundred of you used to be doing. And uh, by the way, now we can have a hundred steam shovels going. We can get this thing done really fast yeah. and go to the next one. Mm-hmm. So to me, it just accelerates uh, what can be done. And you mentioned already about the m- severe shortage mm-hmm. of software developers. Yeah. Um, this will help s- s- like stem that a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's a tool. 
you know, like, like it's not going to necessarily do everything for you. I think uh, I have a prediction actually, and a little friendly non-monetary bet, <laughs> just dinner, I think with a, with a software developer friend of mine mm-hmm. uh, that we did on Twitter publicly. Uh, I said, you know, in within, uh, I forget the time frame. It was five to 10 years, somewhere in that range. Um, we won't be arguing about the semantics of different programming languages because you're going to program in natural language mm. and AI will turn that into, co- mach- you know, to code and then it'll just work. And by the way, I'm kind of already doing that because it's kind of comment driven development. I, I make a, like a coding comment and then GitHub Copilot will give me code that conforms to what that comment is doing. Mm-hmm. And then I move on. I'm already kind of doing that, but you know, I'm not going to count that, you know, and, yeah. and claim my dinner just yet. Yeah. How close are we to being able to just take a, a storyboard of an app and not even comment it? Just mm-hmm. you, you have the, that storyboard and PowerPoint or whatever your right. software is. Maybe you, you, you sketch it out and scan it. There are pieces of that already. Um, there are pieces of that where you can get, you can scan in like, what am I seeing here? And it, and the, and the machine learning will know what it, what it's looking at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, then there are pieces that will take natural language and turn that into code. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, there's totally like, uh, there, there, right now there already are systems where you can go in there and say an app with a tab, like a tab bar that has home posts, um, my profile and settings on the bottom and up in the feed, it'll be a scroll view. You know, you like type this out, like almost like you're explaining to the programmer what you want Mm -hmm. and it'll get the bones of it up there and kind of, it works and the code is fine. You know, like you can work with it. Hmm. So stuff like that already exists. It's just a matter of connecting all of those things together and eventually we'll get there. I still think that programmers will have like the best, uh, you know, the, the people that ran the steam shovels were people that originally were, you know, shoveling. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that, that's, we're going to be running the steam shovels cause it still takes a logical mind to think through the flow of an app and things like that, but it moves more closer and closer to the user. Do any of your kids program? So, uh, my son Cedric is, uh, he's 17 and he's been programming since he was probably 10. Um, not as obsessively as I was. Um, but he's, he's a very talented programmer already. He currently works in fast food, but he just talked to the man or the owner of the fast food place he works at, and they're going to start having him do some coding for him because they have some coding stuff they need done uh, for this for this company. Well, I won't name. That's cool. They have great they have great chicken. So, uh, but yes, uh, it's it's a very cool thing, and uh, apparently they were very impressed with his coding knowledge. He knows JavaScript pretty well. He kind of knows a little bit of TypeScript. Mm-hmm. Although that's that's kind of uh, still fairly new to him, and he thinks like a programmer already on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Um, he's not as obsessed as his old man was, um, but there's uh, pieces. Of, I think he's a probably a more he's he's definitely more advanced as kind of like a holistic thinker. Um, you know, thinking in terms of business and whatnot. Where I was just in, interested in making games at his age. That's all I cared about. Yeah. Uh, were your first experiences coding, were you kind of just like in a sandbox or did you like follow along with some tutorial and you made a, I don't know, a tic-tac-toe game or something like that? Total sandbox. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I had no books. I had no, 
no internet, you know, cause like we were rural and it was in the nineties and stuff like that. Huh? Total sandbox, whatever I could think up. I, I invented stuff that I found out later was already invented. Um, you know, an example of this would be, um, I made a program for making maps mm-hmm. and then I made it so it would save the map and then a game that would load the map up and then you could play the map. Okay. Sorry. I, we need to go even further. Well, no, finish your story. And then I want to go yeah. even further back. I needed a file format. Uh-huh. Like, how, how do I store this? There's, I didn't, I had never heard of Jason. There wasn't invented yet. Like I didn't know how things really worked. So I invented a file format and I thought to myself, I think I was probably 14, 15 years old. I thought to myself, I'm going to have different versions of this editor, but I'm going to have old maps that I made with old versions. So it needs to be forwards compatible. Like I need to be able to bring these old maps into my new editor and they'll work and not break. Mm -hmm. So I actually invented a file format that was forwards compatible. And then because I'm such a nerd, I was like, what if I could load new ones in the old editor? So I actually made it backwards compatible too, (laughs) uh, where maybe it wouldn't show all the new features, but you could still load it and it wouldn't break it. So it was pretty cool. Okay. I never finished the game. I just, I spent all my time on the map editor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you get a computer and is this like load DOS with like a floppy disk kind of, is it that computer? Um, Actually, hold on one second. This show and tell is going to be great for our listener, James. So it is this computer. This is my first computer ever. Oh my. See that's, that? That's uh, beautiful. Right there. Mm-hmm. That is a floppy disk, but that's not a three and a half floppy. That's a five and a quarter floppy. It is a DFI IBM compatible 286. I think it was 33 megahertz. I could be wrong. That seems fast. It might be slower than that. Has a turbo button though. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As a so turbo, I still have it. Why yeah. is the tur? Why? What is the turbo? Why would you ever turn the turbo off? Uh, sometimes there were games, and they were not programmed to. Um, they were programmed to a clock speed. Okay. So the game would work fine if you had like, um, an eighty eighty eight or an eighty eighty six or something, uh-huh. and then you'd get a two eighty six, which of course was way faster, and the ge- game would just go really fast, and you'd be oh. like, I can't play this game; it's too fast. So you turn off the turbo button, and it would slow it down to like half speed. It also used less electricity and was like cooler and stuff like that. It'll last longer if it's at a cooler temp. That's true. Yep. Okay. So you get, you get this computer and it probably costs an exorbitant amount of money for. <laughs> I think it was about $2,300 <laughs> back in 1992. Yeah. Which is and a house. My dad bought it for his business. Yeah. Cause he was tired of doing his books by hand mm-hmm. and. So it had like Quicken on it and it had uh, Microsoft Works. Remember Microsoft Works? That was like an old style of Microsoft Office. How did you even think to program it? Was there a term like there's terminal obvious, like probably? So so the biggest problem with this one was that it didn't come with QBasic and it didn't even come with an editor. The only editor on it was a thing called Edlin, E-D-L-I-N, where you can mm-hmm. edit one line at a time. You could not go back. So you could like each line you could like edit, but you, you just had to hit enter until you got to the end of the, and it would save the file. And if you wanted to edit again, you had to like reopen it. So it was terrible. And, uh, but I learned how to do batch files, batch file editing okay. on it. And I guess prior to that, a math 
uh, teacher gave me a book that showed me how to like make Mad Libs. So I made Mad Libs on like the Apple IIe and stuff like that mm-hmm. on, you know, in our computer lab. I'm 40 years old. So this is, I'm dating myself here. But uh, so I had done a little bit of programming. Like I knew what a print statement was mm-hmm. and stuff like that, input statement. Yeah. So I started with with that. Um, but it didn't really work that well with batch files. Batch files are very limited. Mm-hmm. But I would kind of customize those as much as possible. I tried figuring out machine language, but there's just no way. Like I'd get into it. And I remember ruining a game because I changed something. I didn't know how to change it back. You and want the internet for that. Yes, exactly. So I, uh, I've i learned the value of a backup there. Like make a copy before you make changes to this stupid thing. Um, it was a risk game. We never got to play again. It was a pretty bad one, so I didn't feel too bad about it. But um, then my dad actually upgraded to a 486 because this thing couldn't handle QuickBooks. So mm. um, he up- upgraded to 486 and that came with a copy of QBasic. And then I was just like in heaven. That was awesome. Now I feel like I have a little bit more of a fuller picture. Mm-hmm. So I, I say that I started programming at 12, but I probably started when I was 10. Uh, it was just not quite, you know, real programming yet. <laughs> what is real programming? I was just uh, playing off of uh, what Daniel said, uh, but uh, <laughs> on Twitter, this will get you in trouble if you if you say the wrong thing. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I think batch file coding is totally real programming. It, would you consider Excel formulas real programming? Yeah, it's um, in fact, Excel is one of the most like pure expressions of so declarative programming being uh, I want to show you what I want. And then the computer figures out how to do the math and do the coding to figure that out. And uh, Excel is really great at that. It's like I want the average of these cells above me. Mm-hmm. You don't tell it how to get the average. You don't say go and like loop through all these cells and add them up and then divide them you don't do any of that you just say i want the average it figures out how to make the average Hmm. and not only that it's also a great expression of reactive programming reactive programming means if i change an input Hmm. the average will change immediately i don't have to click recalculate it's reactive it reacts to the fact that the parameters changed Mm-hmm. So to me, Excel is actually one of the greatest types of programming that you can do. Hmm. I'm I'm touched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kyle. I know you. I know you have. You you were writing a list while he was going and grabbing that dinosaur. <laughs> well, I'm curious, Jamin. Five to ten years out, what you think will make an elite programmer? Because I could totally see it going programming going the way that say education has gone, where instead of you going to your local university or community college to get the basics from whoever happens to be there, we can now go online and go to Stanford or MIT or someone on YouTube. Like if someone really wants to know React, they'd go to your YouTube channel to learn that. They aren't going to go to Clark College mm-hmm. to learn that because yeah. the best people are on YouTube. So you're going to learn that way. Yeah. And so I could see with GitHub Autopilot and mm-hmm. what some of the other big tech companies are coming out with along those same lines, you're going to have something similar where you're going to have one really special programmer who writes most of the code we use. Yeah. I mean, I think that it will be similar to today, but with just way better tools. Um, I think that 
ultimately it's the same answer I would have given back if I'd known what I was doing uh, when okay. I was 12. And that is just an insatiable thirst for, for knowledge and wanting to get better at this stuff and want, and not being afraid to dive in. That's going to be a great programmer. One of the problems that is like back then, like, you know, maybe you needed to deep dive on one thing. You needed to get really good at one thing. I had to get really good at QBasic or you have to get really good at C++ or something like that. Nowadays, you are overwhelmed by the fire hose of information. Right. Just absolutely overwhelmed. Like I, I, I saw this with Cedric, like him looking at everything and just being like, I don't know what to start with. Right. And I was like, well, make an app. Just go make an app. Like you're going to, you're going to know what you need to learn based mm-hmm. on what, you know, what you run into there. And so he chose React Native on his own. Like I, I didn't say go do it. You know, he, he, I was like, you can do it in any language you want, but he chose React Native and, uh, I was able to give him some resources on how to learn and he would run into things and then he'd have to go and like figure out workarounds to get, to get, you know, what he needed done and learning kind of why things were the way they were. And learning why this is, you know, like why someone would use, you know, TypeScript, for example, you know, hey, if you're using TypeScript, it would tell you. And then showing him here mm-hmm. with TypeScript, this tells you that this is an issue. I think that a lot of um, a lot of the coding, you're going to get a lot of like the, the computer is going to help you a lot. It's going to tell you when things aren't right. It's going to be right. able to predict what you should be writing. Um, but at the end of the day, you still need to be able to think through the problems and know what's available, what know what's possible mm-hmm. and uh, kind of be able to have that spidey sense of this isn't quite right. Because that's one of the right. reasons why I'm really good at GitHub Copilot is I can look at the code and be like, eh, that's not quite right, Copilot. Like, I'll, let's try again. Right. Something that so something that's in my industry is there's tends to be a lot of gray hair in the office mm-hmm. and the difference between somebody who gets along well with technology and somebody who doesn't is there's like two things. One is patience, which you didn't mention, but that's fine. And the other is <laughs> understanding what kinds of problems it can solve. Yeah. Cause it's not, it doesn't do everything. Um, at least not, yeah. not in the construction office. Maybe for you, it does just about everything, but no, you're right. It's uh, yeah, it's just that's like, true. and uh, I, I don't know. I think a lot of people should have maybe not learn a programming language, but learn a, enough to know, what kinds of things it can't like what kinds of problems it could solve, what kind of things it can do and, and what it can't. Yeah, I, I agree because really only ex- like we try to do this internally at infinite red, expose our programmers to solutions. Like someone may not even have ever built a chat chat feature, you know, into an app and knowing that there's a thing out there called react native gifted chat that does a lot of it for you. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy to use. Yeah. Um, it already has kind of a chat feature. Like you can you can roll with it. You can get really far with it. You know, knowing that Firebase and Firestore have uh, these these like really cool you know subscriptions where you can receive new messages immediately as soon as they are posted, uh, and get an update and things like that. Knowing what's possible is huge. I agree with that. I would probably. I, I like your I like the patience thing. That's 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 good. I'm not a particularly patient person. I think that maybe w- how I would describe it myself would be more kind of like dogged determine determinism, like d- dogged, like I'm going persistence. to persistence. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Finnish people like to say Sisu, you know, mm-hmm. like um, just 
kind of grit and determination and, and, you know, extreme persistence through, through sometimes extremely like frustrating, stressful, annoying problems Mm -hmm. and being able to be, be like, okay, I'm going to keep, you know, button my head against this until I figure it out. And there've been plenty of times I've been, you know, up until 1am, not really realizing that time was going trying to fix a problem because I don't want to go to bed until this thing is like, at least I've got a light at you the can't. end of the tunnel. Yeah. You can't go to bed. Exactly. It's just, it's going to be in my brain. That's not to say sometimes you shouldn't shut it down and like come back at it the next day, but it's honestly one of my superpowers I think is the ability to just be like, no, I'm not going to quit until this is fixed. Uh, now with that said, it depends on my mood. <laughs> sometimes I hit a snag and I'm like, screw it. I'm not doing this project at all. <laughs> And take my ball and go home. Exactly. Gosh. Yeah. I so uh, when I'm using that that phrase that patience. Yeah. What I I suppose I'm thinking of a handful of experiences where where people gave up. They were mm-hmm. like, "This is this is dumb. I don't want to deal with this anymore. So we're not going to do it." Yeah. And and patience, which is obviously not patient. And so yeah. that's that's how I came out with that. That, but yeah, the sisu would be would be would be a fine, a very fine word. As as I get older and wiser, I've also found that sometimes it's about bringing in someone else to just mm-hmm. sit with you. You know, for me, like we have we have sort of a guideline at Infinite Red: don't do hard things alone. So if you have Ooh. a thing that is going to be very difficult, bring someone in, and it doesn't matter if they have expertise in the thing or not. You know, there's this concept in programming of rubber duck debugging where you can basically talk to a rubber duck, tell it the problem, and while you're describing the problem, you'll kind of think of a solution. Sometimes it's just a matter of having someone look at it and say, yeah, this is a hard problem. You're not an idiot. This is actually very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, or sometimes someone will look at it, and this is sometimes my role, and say, we need more information. You're just stabbing in the dark here. Let's put some logs in here. Let's figure out what is happening when. You know, like comment out half the code. So we know that none of that is the problem here. What, where's this error coming from? Well, let's comment out half the code. Okay. It's still coming up. Okay. Uncomment that. Cause that's obviously not the one comment out the rest of, you know, and now does it stop? Okay. It did stop now. All right. Well, obviously it's in this block. So now let's narrow that down. Yeah. Kind of bisecting and narrowing down, playing 20 questions with it until you get to the, the line of code that's causing the problem. Maybe you don't know still the answer, but at least, you know, it's not all this other stuff. Yeah. And then you can just focus in on that. Um, sometimes you have to do some hard work to get to that point. For example, yeah, I would have logs, but every time I hook up the logger, then this part crashes. Well, okay, let's fix that. <laughs> so you now have a logger from, you know, from here until eternity so that you can fix these problems. Yeah. Uh, and I literally could tell someone in any language, any platform, any type of app, what I just said, and it would be helpful. Even though I don't know their language, I don't know this platform, I don't know the SDKs, I don't know the APIs. Does Infinite Red have other kind of catchphrases or sayings that come up a lot? We we have quite a few. Some of your favorites. One is, that I really like it comes from a, a, an article that I read way back, probably mm-hmm. 2015 or 2013 or something. 
that is way back now. <laughs> uh, and it is the concept of what we call a gaffometer, G-A-F-O meter. So a gaffometer, let's say that two people are having an argument and, you know, usually it's in like Slack or something like that. And they're arguing about something. And someone's like, hey, wait a minute. I need to know how much you give a frick about this. Mm. G-A-F-O-meter. Um, because if you don't care that much, then I do care a lot or vice versa. Then we can kind of like have a better understanding. Because like sometimes... I'm I'm known for this sometimes. I have a very low gaffo, let's say a one out of ten. I really don't care. But I'm sort of like playing devil's advocate, like, oh, well, what have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? And the other person's like a nine out of ten. They've been down this road. This is a really big thing. They want it. Dude, if you're a nine out of ten and I'm a one out of ten, you just do what you want to do. I don't care. I really don't. <laughs> um now if you're both at a one out of ten, then it's just an academic exercise. If you're both at a nine out of ten, Let's get into Zoom. Let's talk it through in high bandwidth situation. If we need to, we'll jump on a plane and go talk to each other. Because like, you know, if it's an important thing. Yeah. I've done that before. So you kind of have to sample like where, where you at. Because like it can come across the same way, whether it's a 1 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 in text, especially. Yeah. I have heard about, uh, I've heard the recommendation to do that with your wife when mm. you're having an argument saying like, yeah. okay, what's. I haven't heard the gaffometer. It's just, yeah. well, how much do you care about this one out of 10? Right. And it's like, well, I want, I really, I really wanted to go to Mexican tonight yeah. and you want something else. And right. you know, this was an important date, but mm -hmm. you don't care. And I do, or yeah. I, I don't care at all. Like it's food. Yeah. I just want to be with you. You know, I just want to <laughs> exactly. hang out with you. Yeah. Um, and it's so, a good concept. I like that one a lot. Yeah. We, we have some others. Uh, one is um, uh, we value cr uh, collaborative creativity um, mm -hmm. where it's not just creativity, it's collaborative creativity where mm -hmm. we don't do giant big reveals. It's not like, you know, Hey, I'm going to go away for a while and come back and everything's just going to be this, you know, amazing display. Um, it's more like, we're going to work together on this. I'm going to show you what's going on. I'm going to get your input as we go. Um, mm. and that's, that's an important thing. One of my business partners is less inclined. He loves the big reveal, mm. loves it. It's one of his favorite things to do is go away and then come back with a big reveal. And I have to keep reminding him, hey, remember, collaborative creativity. I probably could have steered you right on one of these things if you just brought me in earlier. Yeah, I'm noticing some I'm noticing some themes between at least a couple of those that, mm -hmm. you know, further together, faster alone kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. I have a question I really like to ask people who program for a living, and that is how do you balance how much you do in the virtual world with your with the real world do you see any need or any pull to do more in the real world or are you able to create so much wonderful stuff in the virtual world that that satisfies that itch i kind of am tempted to say i'm the wrong person to 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 ask that question just because i you know kind of spent every waking moment on a computer that my mom would allow me when uh -huh. i was a kid with that said, that's not totally true. You know, I played basketball. I went out in the woods with my gun and my dog. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I like, um, you know, I was constantly doing something, um, away from the computer. I just always loved sitting down in front of the computer, like the, right. the feeling of sitting down and 
clicking that button on that computer right there and having it come to life was just like the best thing ever. Um, so that's extended into my adult life. I still love being in front of a computer too much. Why do you say too much? Well, I have a family <laughs> and they, they sometimes, you know, want to see me. Um, but at the same time, I kind of refuse to be shameful about it. Like it's just not, it's part of who I am and right. that's okay. And my family understands that. Um, it's, um, but you know, I play hockey, um, and I get out and do that now. Um, that's fun. I love playing ice hockey. I'm a goalie and it's just like, it's great. Uh, I get out and go hiking uh, when I can. Um, and just being out in nature like that is great. And, uh, and, and some other things like that. So there are, there are definitely, I, I love putting around with my tractor on my three acres and, and moving dirt around and, and whatnot swimming. I've got a pool and go swimming in that. So there are things I like to do, but, um, again, you know, sitting down in front of the computer still is like, uh, it's still just as fun. Like, I don't know why I just, I'm wired that way. I do. Yeah. Okay. Do you know who he plays with? That sounds familiar, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's up from Longview. I don't know. They mm -hmm. invited me to play with him a handful of times. And I was like, I don't No, 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 that does not. <laughs> Um, yeah, but it's, uh, it's, I, I probably, I may recognize him. Like I see everybody, you know, yeah. it's, um, it's definitely like, like for me, it's a cool, it's, it's just, it's just cool community for the mm -hmm. most part. There's a few people that are kind of annoying, but for the most part, it's a good community. And of course, just love being on the ice and I love getting shot on like, the puck coming at me hard and I got to make a play. That's just like, I uh, just love it. Yeah. So much fun. Hmm. I imagine there's some crossover with what you do in, in your day-to-day -day business life with the puck coming at you fast. <laughs> yeah. You got this problem. That's true. Jamin. Needs to be and, solved. Absolutely. And I, I think you can actually uh, pull some, I think the thing that really, I would say, so if, if the puck's down on the other end and things are going well and we're really putting pressure on the other goalie, it's easy to lose your focus. It's easy to kind of like stand around and kind of look at the crowd and, you know, kind of skate back and forth and things like that as a goalie. When someone's lining up a shot at you, especially if you're playing in a higher league and they're good and they're lining up a shot and you can see that, that stick starting to kind of curl and they're starting to get it ready and they're looking at you and you're looking at them, everything else kind of disappears. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's the thing you're mm -hmm. focused on. You don't care about who's skating on the other end. You are just crouched in your stance and you're ready to, you know, like bring it on. Come on. You know, like the, the shot's coming. I'm going to make a play. That focus, that laser focus, you can't keep that forever. You need times right. where you like settle down, but you also will not succeed unless you can get into that focus from time to time. And I think in business, the same way. And that's really hard to do. It's super hard to do especially as a founder, everybody wants your attention. Your inbox right now, like I love inbox zero. I wrote an article about inbox zero and I love inbox zero. I use my inbox as a to-do list in a lot of ways. The problem is that anybody can add to it because they just email you. And so it's, you always feel like you had a productive day just sitting there, like going through your email, but sometimes you need to tune all of that stuff out and fix the big problem that's right in front of you that is coming fast and you need to like really deal with it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
they're, they're few and far between, but when, when you need to focus, it's, is really important. So I would put, I would draw that, that parallel. It's not a perfect analogy, but it is something that I think is absolutely true. And it's, it was hard for me to do, especially for the first 10 years of doing business, mm-hmm. been a lot better more recently, I think. Well, Kyle, I'm sure that you could ask Jamin quite a few more questions. <laughs> I'd actually like to ask a question off the topic of technology, if, if sure. we can, if we can do that. And, and, and that has to do with, so, so, so my final, I, I'll make this my final question. I don't believe you. <laughs> I said, I didn't say it was my final question. Also, I said, I'll make it my final You'll question. You'll make it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that has to do with in our last, I think it was our last podcast. It hasn't published yet, but we were talking about challenging circumstances and, uh, less challenging circumstances and how that impacts us as people. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you're the founder of a fairly, a, a very successful tech startup. Your kids have, I would guess, never been hungry. It's it, They've had a, what from the outside might look to be a fairly easy life. Are there ways you've thought of you and your wife have thought about challenging your kids so that they grow up with grit and with the ability to to have that sisu? That is an amazing question. I think in in life challenges will find you even when things seem to be going well. For sure. In different ways and I think that um for us a lot of the a lot of the challenges that have come our way to start with have been, I mean, certainly we had, for example, we had a, a, a house fire and that was a situation where, you know, life felt like it was going pretty well and then mm-hmm. everything's turned upside down. Right. But I think even more so than that, that was definitely traumatic for sure. And we had to deal with that. We still are in some ways, uh, although it's, it's becoming more of a distant memory now you know, mental health challenges that kind of come out of that, especially mm-hmm. with young kids that are hit hard with that, uh, with that reality, um, not feeling mm-hmm. safe, things like that. So some of those things can come out and there's a fine line between grit and Sisu and, um, PTSD, <laughs> you know, right. like you, right. you don't want to go over that line because, uh, hard times can make, you know, hard people, but they can also break people. And, um, but your, your broader question is really interesting because it's like, what if things are going well, you know, being more comfortable, I think is a more recent phenomenon for our kids. Uh, you know, maybe Cedric remembers the harder times a little bit, but like Mm -hmm. for most of them, no, they, they won't really remember that. And, uh, it's not necessarily something I think I have solved. Um, you definitely try not to, uh, try, try not to slip into habits that, will make for entitled kids and things like that. But it's really hard to artificially, you know, create that. You just hope that they are empathetic people um, that you, you know, that you can kind of give them, you know, timeless truths and timeless um, approaches to life. And then really ultimately build a relationship with them where it's an open relationship and something where you can go and you know that they can talk to you about hard things, Mm -hmm. even when they're older. I don't know. It, it's a fascinating, I'd love to hear other people's quite, you know, responses to that, that sort of a question. 
it's it's an interesting one for sure. A hard hitting question, Kyle, to finish. Yeah, up. seriously. I, you know, it, it, it happens to us too. Like, yeah, it applies like, to honestly, us as well. Like I, we used to budget every single month, every penny, you know, we did the whole Dave Ramsey thing. Yeah. Did you do YNAB as well? I did YNAB. Absolutely. The, I you just, need a budget thing. I did it for years back when it was like YNAB pro, which nobody's heard of, but it was like literally <laughs> one step removed from a spreadsheet at that point. I bought it and like was one of the earliest people to adopt it mm-hmm. i was a budgeting absolute nerd and then it got to a point where wasn't really adding a lot of value because you know like you finally had enough money to cover the things that you were trying to do mm-hmm. and you get out of the habit and then you notice that you haven't been saving much money lately and you're like why yeah. <laughs> why is the bank account balance not going up and you're like okay this is what i always said i wouldn't do <laughs> For sure. Getting well, back those habits of entitlement. Exactly. It's too easy. It is. Jamin, thank you so much. I have really Seriously. enjoyed our conversation. I feel like a little bit like I asked you on, um, really having not much a concept of how big a deal you are. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I was trying to think of a different way to say it, but yeah, basically. You guys aren't helping the entitlement uh, complex I have, obviously. <laughs> No, no, just all the things that you've done and kind of the success that you've had. Like I I knew that you had a successful business, but I just, I think I didn't understand the scope. And I mean, you know, 400 followers on, on your streams and (laughs) no, it's uh, not every stream. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, But no, I I appreciate that guys. You guys asked really good questions and it was, it's always, it's always fun to do these sorts of things. And I'm usually the interviewer. So, uh, you know, it's nice to be on this other side of the mic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks again. And, uh, we'll talk, we'll talk. Can I ask talk. one, one question? Oh, that's which, hilarious. Which <laughs> I realized I, I hadn't asked this because yeah. I, I don't need, I'm not looking for the answer now, but yeah. Hey guys, Daniel again. We hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did with Jamin. Jamin, thanks again so much for being on. As always, you can find links in the show notes. And thank you, Explore, for the music. Talk to you guys soon. I feel so justified, Kyle. (laughs) You're right.